Warning. The following broadcast may contain content that is unsuitable for children and sensitive individuals. This is Poor Brenton's Almanac, a weekly broadcast of strange fiction and horrible futures. I'm your host, Poor Brenton. It begins now. Episode 1. Fitting in. What has happened in this past? It shall never be forgotten. Not an honor. To go to come out. You know, I'll be. Yeah. 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 Well, welcome to the show, Survivors and Shut-Ins, broadcasting live from the Bunker of Love, 60 feet under whatever remains of Chicago. It's day 38 down here, and I'm finally getting used to it. Just got this transmitter working, I I think. I hope someone's receiving this. Can't be the only asshole out there with the radio. At least whoever built this bunker left a pile of electronics manuals and tools behind so I could fix some of the outdated junk down here. Who knows, if the phone line's still active, maybe I can get my laptop online. From what I can tell, it must have been built by some paranoid CEO in the 80s. It looks like they kept it up until about 10 years ago. Since some of the food is still intact, the haircuts and the magazines are, well, were coming back into style. Who knows what haircuts are going to be looking like after this shitstorm is overdone. The food tastes awful. No matter what the tin says, it tastes like chewy salt. It could be worse. My ex-wife could be doing the cooking. (laughs) I wonder if she's still alive. That being said, Bunker Buddies, your fine, fine voice at the end will have to climb out of this concrete surroundings in about three months to look for more supplies. Hopefully by then, the winter will have cooled things off up there, at least a little bit. I'm not looking forward to it, but I can't stay underground forever. Even moles have to surface once in a while. I'm glad you were able to tune in, my possibly non-existent listeners. If it weren't for writing these stories every week, I'm sure I'd go nuts. Well, more nuts. I'm still recovering from all the crazy stuff I saw topside before I was able to go underground. Writing helps me sort out those memories and maybe work through this colossal collapse the world is going through. Long story short, you keep listening and I keep writing. This week's story is called Fitting In, and I had a sinking feeling the whole time I wrote it. There was an odd scent in the air outside Bright Path Services. Somehow, it moved faster than the speed of smell. Justin noticed it just as he stepped off the train a block from the office. He knew he had smelled it before, a number of times, in fact. A cocktail of recirculated air that undoubtedly contained a number of molecules that had once been inside of some other person's body. Nearly expired Xerox toner? A fish in a distant, yet too close, microwave. Whatever the cleaners used to remove vomit. It set him on edge, more than usual that day. Before he reached the glass doors of Bright Path staffing, two passenger jets flew overhead, distressingly close from his perspective. He wondered where the people on board were from. 
and why the planes were flying so low. The direction they were traveling was strange as well. They were heading toward the lake. He continued to stare at the gray space in the sky even after they were gone, until he snapped to, realizing he would be late for his skills aptitude demonstration. Just as he opened the door, the hinge screeched, and in the relative silence that followed, he heard what sounded like two car accidents that, like the fishy microwave, were both far away and too close. The waiting room. Justin spent 15 minutes estimating how long it took the dust to build up on the artificial ferns. After this, he wondered why the music had cut off from the terrible speakers, and was also thankful that it had. The occasional worker that passed through the office had gone from dejected to eerily distant. One man left in a hurry, stopping only to knock over the nearest artificial fern. Sitting, finally, in the mock office, the employment agency used to test various aptitudes, touch-typing documents as quickly as possible, filling out spreadsheets. In the end, his scores remained as amazingly above average as they always had. His score in the phone support quiz had even improved since he'd eliminated the word can't from his vocabulary. A moment waiting until he was ushered into a cubicle, seated a bit too close to his employment specialist, Chad, whose eyes were as bare and blank as his pale skin. There was a radio playing in the cubicle. Only the sound of crying could be heard, interspersed twice with, Dios mio! After nearly a minute, Chad noticed that Justin had taken a seat. He snapped off the radio. His hands were shaking. Oh, hello. He tapped the screensaver away from his monitor. Uh, Justin? He clicked, and a script bloomed in a chunky, aged-looking window. When he spoke, it sounded like he was having an asthma attack. You've, once again, surpassed all of our placement requirements here at... at... Chad made a small noise like an injured animal, then ripped his tie off, throwing it into the wastebasket. Uh, I'm sorry. Most of our servers have... He sniffed. Gone down. Justin sat picking at the cuticle of his left index finger. Chad stared at the space between his hands as though they were windows into a better place. Is something wrong? asked Justin. The interviewer took a deep breath and exhaled through his teeth. I'm sorry. I don't think Brightpath will be able to help you currently. He began to rip pages from the daily joke calendar on his desk at an increasingly alarming rate. It would be best if you came back later. Justin craned his neck to get a better view of the monitor. Are you sure there won't be any jobs next week? Somebody in the next cubicle was flagrantly praying. Chad scooped together all the calendar pages and compressed them into a messy little ball. <laughs> next week may not be an option. Outside, the office was quiet in a strange way, and very loud in another. 
There were hundreds of sirens on the stiff breeze. Police, ambulance, fire engines, car alarms. And they all seemed to be rushing toward the lake, traveling like extremely noisy leaves. It might have been the noise. It might have been a denial for employment, which Justin had never been felt before. It might have been nothing at all. But just then, Justin lost his mind. believe it was him when you saw him exiting the office. It was the first time you'd ever seen him without having an apartment window and a fire escape between you. The day had already been strange enough without coming so close to the man of your dreams. It was even stranger to watch him swearing and kicking the garbage can until he got tired and limped away. You especially remember the coincidence later that night when you were safe back in your apartment. When you saw him commit an act Both miraculous and disgusting, just across the street from your apartment. Justin had hurt his foot quite badly when he had released his fury on the unsuspecting waste receptacle. He didn't have the money for a cab to get back to his neighborhood, not that he saw any on the streets. So, he hobbled painfully to the nearest bus stop that could start him in the right direction. The rare anger that had gripped him was long gone. In its void was only a salad of tossed dejection and confusion, with a moderate sprinkling of painful croutons. He had never, in his ten years since graduating, not been able to score a temp job. He was just good enough at so many things that some office would always have a place for him to fit in. Few things were making sense. It felt as though the world had changed, as though he had changed. He was terrified to discover that he felt terrified and alone. He usually just felt alone. The bus was taking longer than usual. He began to mumble to himself, partly because he had always had trouble with internal dialogue partly to drown out the murmur of thousands of souls crying out in unison, which was a touch more than your average Monday. Maybe this is a good thing. Most of the people I graduated with found permanent careers. I've been wasting the best years of my life, starting at the bottom of the totem pole over and over again. He tried to pick at the cuticle on his left finger, but found it to be missing. After some time, he checked his watch and saw that he had been waiting for over an hour. In his previous experience with the city's buses, that meant it would never arrive. Just as he stood to start walking home, a herd of pamphlets blew down the street. One of them caught on his leg and he snapped it up. The only thing he could understand on it was a crudely drawn U.S. flag. It was on fire. The rest of it was in an angry-looking alphabet that he couldn't read. I wish all these protesters wouldn't make such a mess, he said, and dropped the pamphlets in the next garbage can he came across. The streets were a strange kind of ghost town as he limped his way from one neighborhood to the next. Every business, save for the occasional bar or bodega, was closed. The few things that were open were filled with the sort of folks you would expect to see at a very morbid Black Friday sale. Something new in their eyes and something missing. 
In his two hours of walking, Justin had seen only one bus, and had been on its side in the middle of an intersection, curiously devoid of both driver as well as emergency crews. It wasn't smoking or damaged in any way, simply lying on its side like it was very, very tired. His phone refused to get any signal. He even tried calling his mother, who was the only person he knew who still had a landline. The most vexing part of this was that, though he knew it was essentially dead, he still felt phantom vibrations in his pocket. He felt like he was missing something. In Justin's mind's eye, his wounded foot was a pile of burger meat that had been thoughtlessly poured into his creaking brogue that morning. He came to an intersection that he had known well in all of his years of living in the city. His leg ached so badly that he needed to rest before walking the final couple blocks to his place. He was sitting at a bus stop that, for one reason or another, he had had to wait at in order to get anywhere in the city. He knew every crack and cranny of the usually busy intersection. The owner of the chintzy 99-cent store on the far corner would stand out front of the gate for an hour after he opened, watching people as they passed. He knew the faces of all the bus drivers. The old guy in the salmon trucker hat that would regularly exit the group home a half block down for no other reason than to sneak into an alley and piss on a mysteriously specific door. He thought of the beautiful woman with the fire escape garden he had silently fallen in love with daily for almost five years. Some summer days, when he was able to get away with wearing sunglasses, he could look directly at her without feeling like a pervert. Sometimes, Justin even saw her looking at him. It felt like a heat ray hitting him. He'd have to turn his back to her and pretend to examine the stickers on the busted payphone until his bus finally arrived. He loved knowing she was there, though. Sometimes, he rode the bus just so he'd get a chance to see her, possibly catch her on the way out of her apartment. She never seemed to leave, though. He'd never seen it, at least. One thing, though, that had been a constant in Justin's routine was the hole, just in front of the bench. It wasn't just a pothole, but something far more sinister. The opening of the hole was roughly the diameter of an oversized grapefruit, and had no visible bottom. Whenever road crews paved it over, it would devour the patch and return larger than ever within days. Justin had twisted his ankle in the hole more times than he could remember, and it would fill with filthy water that was impossible to dodge when a car splashed through it. He hated it more than anything in the world. He glanced up at the fire escape garden and saw no one there. His phone still had no messages. He thought of the excruciating walk back to his empty apartment, about the three-day-old pizza in the fridge. He felt a sudden pull from the street and knew what would fill the gap in his life, or rather, where he could finally fit in. You never thought you would see him a second time that day. He was sitting at his bus stop at a strange time. He still seemed perfect to you as he sat dejectedly on the bench across the street. 
Ever since leaving your apartment had become unbearable, watching him wait for the bus had become the high point of your day. It hadn't been a bad few years, working from home, having everything delivered, only leaving when a financial matter demanded it, tending to your little garden, watching the interesting man across the street. Your therapist had told you that you were slipping into irrational behavior the last time you saw her months ago. After then, it had felt too risky to continue with your visits, so they ceased. You focused on things that made you happy, watching the street, tending your garden. Outside was where bad things happened. As if to prove your point, the first time you leave your apartment in a month to see your financial advisor, the city's rocked with the most devastating attack in its history. You know that just about everything you do is irrational, aside from copywriting and paying bills. It's irrational that you bought a queen-sized bed the same day you first laid eyes on him. It's irrational that you cook twice as much food as you're going to eat just in case he decided to pop over. You arranged your entire life to make room for this mystery man that you are rationally attached to. And there he is. On the worst day of your life, he appears practically on your doorstep. Maybe today's the day. Oh, oh, what's he doing now? He's standing up, stepping into the street. He's walking towards your building. This is no coincidence. For the first time in two years, you take your life into your own hands and rush down the stairs to the front door. You know, you just know that the worst day of your life is about to become the best. Justin stood and cautiously walked into the street. He carefully inserted one foot into the hole, then squeezed in the other. It was hard to tell whether the hole was enlarging to accept him, or if his body was changing to suit it. Slowly, he sank into the hole. The pile of clothes grew around him as more and more of him disappeared below the street. At the very last moment, before he disappeared, you wouldn't be able to tell if he was smiling, but the corners of his eyes seemed to suggest it. story. I hope you heard it. It's time for me to sign off for this week. Got some more cleaning to do around the bunker of love, and some exploring, too. There's a lot of hatches I haven't opened yet. I've pretty much just been hanging around this main bunker since this is where the equipment and supplies are. Maybe this place goes deeper. Maybe there's a super-secret government facility down below where they developed super-secret super-soldiers to fight the Soviets. <laughs> yeah, maybe the program got cancelled in the 90s and the creepy mutants were left down there all these years and they turned into crazy cannibals that... <laughs> well, no, probably not. Uh, but, hey, a guy can dream, right? Maybe I'll get lucky and there'll be some super-secret snacks. Or super-secret sneakers. Or super-secret... 
I guess everything doesn't have to be super secret. Anyways, I'm gonna load up some supplies into my backpack and check out the hatch on the floor. It sounds like there's something scratching at the other side. It's been keeping me up at night. This has been Poor Brenton. Thanks for listening, and have a nice life. Poor Brenton's Almanac has a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0, international license, which means that you can download it and share it, just don't change it or sell it. Poor Brenton's Almanac is a creation of Holy Crow Press. 